Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big game going down tonight. The Jazz taking on the Phoenix Suns. Tip-off coming your way a little after 8 o'clock. Pre-game coverage here on The Zone begins at 7. Let's get out to The Zone phone. Joining us now, former Jazz man, legendary University of Utah Ute, and current analyst for the Phoenix Suns. We're going to hold on for a second. Apparently, we're having a phone problem. Man, I thought that was one of my better intros, too. I know. I was, you were winding up. You had it going. That would look like a Juan Marshall. Mar, how do you say his name? Marshall. All right. Should we try it again, then just to like in fast-forward mode? You know? Sure. Uh, joining us now, former jazz man, legendary University of Utah, current analyst for the Phoenix Suns. He is Tom Chambers with us here on The Big Show. Tom, thank you for a few moments. How are you? My pleasure. How are you guys? Everything's great here. Sitting out in the sun, can't complain. It's actually getting kind of warm, but I uh, love it. Love it. Awesome. And, hey, we should have one heck of a basketball game on our hands tonight. Give us a little tale of the tape as you see it. Why, two, you know, two teams that have done it the right way. I mean, they built their teams the right way. You know, you added a free agent, we added a free agent, and built through the draft. And, and uh, now, you know, kind of in the top of the West, which is a, a real fun thing, but obviously the the Jazz team has been, you know, good for a long time. They bolstered themselves last year when you know when Bogdanovich got hurt, bringing in Marks uh, and really helped them. Now they've got more scoring than they've had in, in any, you know, since I can remember. So they're a tough team. They're a tough team to guard, and uh, and they do a great job of guarding. Tom Chris uh, Paul gets a lot of credit for his influence on the Suns. Can you give us a little detail on that? How, how what effect has he had? Well, he's had, you know, so much effect. I mean, every single play, every single possession is vital to him in his mind. So he just holds everybody accountable into a, to a high standard, no standard higher than he holds himself to. And uh, and his intensity, you know, his work ethic, you know, the fact that he's been there, he's done that. Um, everybody listens and, and uh, you know, even the coaches, but because he's just such a knowledgeable person in the game of basketball and plays at such an intense level on every every single possession. And, and that's just something great for the young guys to learn how to play hard and play the right way. What impact has he had on Devin Booker? I just believe the intensity. You know, uh, most importantly for Devin, it's just winning. He's been so frustrated here for a long period of time, was not winning basketball games. So just as soon as the win started to come with Chris Paul, it's just been, you know, but Devin is just – He's even more focused than he was before, and he always was focused, but he sees what can happen if you really are dialed in every single possession. And now, you know, he doesn't have to score on every possession to, for the Suns to have a chance to win. And, you know, there's so many guys that can, can fill it up, so he's just he's playing the game the right way. When the Suns need a basket, certainly he can go get it. But if somebody's open, he's going to hit the open man just like everybody else. So these teams share another thing in common. They're both uh, their net ratings are really high. 
I don't think it really surprises anyone that the Suns can score the ball. What's happening defensively that's been so effective, though? We've got a bunch of guys that play defense. Their team defense is superb, but, you know, when you have Mikel Bridges who can stop people and and, uh, and, and Jay Crowder who came to the team who's been super as well who can stop people. I mean, you know, Javon Carter who's a stopper at the point guard position. We have guys who can really – defend and and you know everybody is bought in everybody's rotating uh, properly there's so many people on this team that can play down to 12 in my opinion guys have to play hard and have to play focused and and Monty's going to leave the guys out on the court that's helping the team win offensively and defensively so I just believe that by the addition you know obviously Mikel was doing it last year but the addition of Jay and then certainly DeAndre deserves some credit he's not as consistent as we'd like him to be but uh, he's starting to become that rim protector that uh, every team needs I want to ask you about DeAndre Ayton, Tom, and you certainly know something about uh, big men in the NBA. And here locally, we've seen Rudy Gobert improve year after year. He's just gotten so much better. And Ayton comes into the league as the number one pick and a lot of hype, but he's still a young big, right? Probably had a lot of developing to do. And it seems like he's, he's progressing on a pretty rapid pace. Well, we hope we hope he continues to do so, and obviously, you know, Coach Monty's been great for him. Devin has been trying for a long time. Chris Paul, you you know, you kind of need to listen to him. Jay Crowder's been, you know, very outspoken. So it used to be DeAndre would get his twenty and ten. Everybody was satisfied, even when we lost. Now that's not the case. I mean, if he he messes up on a position or on a possession, they let him know about it. They talk to him about it, and and they're trying to hold him accountable. So I believe his intensity level coming from the islands. I mean, you know, he's pretty happy to get twenty and ten. And this team, you know, sees that he can do that pretty much just rolling out of bed, and they want to have him protecting the rim, getting offensive rebounds, and and doing the the hard work things that uh, he certainly is capable of. He's a great athlete. So the Jazz, when the starters go to the bench uh, at different times during the game, obviously they have Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles, George Niang, and Derek Favors. What happens when the Suns go to their bench? Well, their bench has been superb, probably the best bench in the NBA. I mean, Dario Sarge has been coming in, playing real smart, heady basketball. Cam Johnson shoots the stink out of it. He's going to knock down shots. I mean, they have three or four or five point guards that can come in and help. Um, you know, we just got Torrey Craig, who's a, another defensive guy. Uh, you know, uh, Nader, um, who's been hurt a little bit lately. He's he's terrific. Uh, it's just it's just really a strong group. Even Frank Kaminsky has helped this team win some basketball games. They come in, they play hard, they pass the ball as well as any team in the NBA. They shoot as well as any team in the NBA. And they defend, so it's been a really nice combination because if they struggle to score, which doesn't happen very often, they're able to get stops when they need to. Tom Chambers is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, Tom, I want to switch gears just a little bit. This is still NBA-related, but it involves uh, your alma mater, the University of Utah as well. They uh, hired a new coach, uh, obviously, but they, they interviewed and talked to Alex Jensen and Johnny Bryant. And Alex Jensen, uh, and, and I'm sure you've run across Alex and Johnny, but Johnny is the, the first assistant in New York under Thibodeau with the Knicks, and Alex Jensen, obviously, first assistant here in Utah uh, with the Jazz, and they had uh, at least to consider you know, taking that head Utah job or, or sticking with it in the NBA and probably hoping for a job uh, in the association later on. Um, if you were in a similar situation, would that have been a difficult decision for you? 
Well, it just depends. I don't know, you know, all of the circumstances or what they're offering or, you know, I, I really don't know. I'm kind of out of the loop as far as that stuff goes. I've, I loved Larry. You know, he had some success, obviously, but a bunch of guys in the NBA and, and seemed to be, you know, a good fit. But uh, if somebody wants to be a head coach and it's, 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 you know, what they're looking at and Alex Jensen or whomever else, I think it, you know, obviously the University of Utah has been very supportive of, of their coaches. They have a great program throughout. I mean, the money's being raised for the different, you know, facilities and stuff is second to none and being the Pac-12 and being, you know, being, you know, competitive right out the get-go. So I, I love that school. I haven't followed as closely lately, you know, to see what's really happening up there, you know, or why Larry was let go. But uh, it's that'd be, you know, it'd be a decision you'd have to look at and weigh heavily. I mean, obviously the NBA is, 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 is pretty fun. Um, the guys are being spoiled now. The facilities are being built now, and, and the way things are done, first class all the way through. In college, you're recruiting, and you're doing a whole lot of other different things. So it just kind of depends on whether you want to 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 uh, really coach them up, or you want to you want to kind of stay in the NBA, where you kind of get spoiled at times. Two part question for you, Tom. First of all, when you got done playing, did you ever have a burning desire to be a coach? Well, you know, I, I actually helped out you know, with Danny Ainge on his staff there, you know, helped with the big guys and stuff like that. And I did like it. I did. Uh, but, you know, then I was asked to go into the TV side of it. And, and, boy, I've had fun with the TV side of it. And and the best part for me is I didn't, you know, I didn't need to have a job where I was working 365. And that's pretty much what coaches need to do in these days in, in you know, whether it's college or whether it's, you know, in, in the NBA. They might get a week off or two weeks off in the summer. I get the whole summer off, and, and they've been long summers because the team hasn't been very good. So I've had a lot of months to spend up in Utah, which I absolutely love, being with the family, you know, being up on the mountain, hunting, fishing, that kind of thing, using the horses. But I don't think I would be able to have as, as, as enjoyable a life from, the, from, the, from, you know, from most standpoints. But um, do I have an itch to coach at times? Yeah, I want to I wanna go tell somebody this or that or the other. And and certainly they would listen to me if I did, but uh, for the most part, I just I just talk about everybody on TV and, and and love it. Slightly related to that, what do you make of the the <laughs> the trend in the NBA toward the uh, the three point shot? Well, you know, it's 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 difficult for me at times. I love Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and 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 they can both shoot threes, but they have the in between shot. Even Steph Curry has the in between shot. So I hate to see it go away where they're saying just shoot a three. You know, threes are dunks basically. I don't like that. You know, you don't get people in foul trouble as much. You know, it's not the old fashioned game that I enjoyed. Certainly, I like people shooting open threes, but just coming down and pulling. Um, it's a different thing. I mean, I, I, you know, Jerry Sloan wouldn't have lasted a week in, in, in today's league with, with the way that is because you, you, you like the you like the old-fashioned play. You know, you get after it, get up in people, guard them, and, uh, and now it's, it's a different thing. It really is. I mean, I can see, you know, shooting some threes, and I used to shoot a few myself, but for guys that are shooting 15 threes a game now, that's just that's – just, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. So who is better, Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker? You know, I'm sure you guys love Donovan, and 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 when we love Devin, <laughs> you know, and they're they're both very similar in what they do. Um, Devin, I think, is in between games a little bit better than Donovan's game. Donovan's more explosive, I believe, than Devin. But they're both all stars, you know, for for years to come in the West, and and do what their team needs them to do. And and I just I just love it. I love that the Jazz have got you know a, a lot more shooting around Ruby Rudy right now. And, you know, everybody's knocking it down, and they're finding out how to win games by scoring points rather than just stopping people. So I um, love what's going on up there for the Jazz. I'm very happy for you guys. 
Obviously, Quinn Snyder is a gifted coach. Uh, you mentioned Monty Williams earlier. Tell us a little bit about his effect on the Suns. Oh, it's been monumental. I mean, he's just such a consistent, solid, um, says the right things, you know, does the right things, um, uh, you know, holds people accountable. Um, he's just a great guy. I mean, he actually got thrown out of a game this year, and I don't know how because he's never said a curse word in his life, and he had a muffler on his face, so I don't know how that happened. But he, he did that because he felt, you know, his players were being taken advantage of so by the officials. So he's just he's just a godsend for us. He really is. He's just that kind of a guy. Obviously, Quinn has been doing a great job up there. You know, he's, he's a great coach. Monty's perfect for this group to help develop them and, and, and get them where they want. But it doesn't hurt to have, you know, Jay Crowders and, and Chris Pauls who have, who have been around for a long time and know how to work. Tom, taking out the the teams, Phoenix and the Jazz, we're going to see tonight. Do you have a, a favorite in the West? Uh, you know, I, I've always loved watching Steph Curry. I feel bad that those guys aren't better. Um, you know, the Denver Nuggets have been really good in a lot of different ways. But, uh, I, you know, as far as winning the West, you know, I, I just think that the Jazz and the Suns are going to be right there depending on when you know, the two L.A. teams get, get back and get healthy. But Denver's now making a run. They made a trade, too. So I just think those five teams are the ones that are going to be there. But watching Damian Lillard's not a bad thing either. That guy, that guy can really play being there from uh, Weber State University. So, Tom, what do you make of these people? Like uh, when Doc Rivers was asked about, you know, he was asked about who the best teams in the West are. And I'm, I'm looking at Utah and the Suns, and I think I've been impressed by both of these teams. And he kind of just swatted them away and said uh, either the Lakers or the Clippers. What do you make of that kind of judgment? Well, I don't agree with it at all. And, you know, I love the fact that, you know, the Nuggets are climbing up there and they're not one of those super, super teams. Certainly the guys, if they're healthy in Brooklyn and they're healthy with, you know, with both of the L.A. teams, they're superstars. You know, they're top ten players in the league all on, all on you know, three teams. So that makes it difficult if they're healthy, if, if, if they're healthy. And and the thing that's it's really weird, and I don't know if it's even fair, is in the buyout market now, these teams are getting the guys, you know, the Drummonds, who's basically an all-star signing up for minimum wage, you know, and, 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 and you know, Aldridge. And so I don't like that aspect of the game, uh, you know, what what's, what's transpiring. But it's the rules. They're living by them. They're, they're doing whatever they can. But I don't enjoy, you know, the, the, the teams with just two or three guys, you know, superstars, and then just filling in the blanks with anybody who will take them in on salary. So I hope it's not successful, to tell you the truth. Well, Tom, thank you for jumping on with us. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. All right, guys. Thank you. Tom Chambers uh, currently does TV work for the Suns broadcast uh, as an analyst. But, of course, NBA All-Star Ute legend, former jazz player. Fun yeah. to have him on. He uh, he he was really a good player. I remember watching him play when he was with the Utes, and uh, he was always an influential player and uh, a gifted athlete, no doubt about that. Yeah, he was always. Uh, it was kind of Stockton and Malone in Utah, and Kevin Johnson to Tom Chambers in in Phoenix, right? Until Barkley got there. He said he likes to come up here and hunt and fish. I wonder where his spots are. Do you know any idea? No, I, I have no clue. I haven't. I haven't gone fishing with Tom. Really? That's surprising no, to I, me. I have not. Not much oh, of a fisherman just, uh, myself, actually. Uh, no. Oh, I thought you were a regular field and stream subscriber. No, I mean I've I've been fishing. I, I enjoy <laughs> it, but I wouldn't call myself much of a fisherman. No. Oh, you're missing out, man. When was the last fishing. time you went fishing? fishing. Oh, it's been a little while for me, but I've been busy lately. 
but uh, I'm not. I'm not like Tom. I don't get the entire summer off. But I used to fish all over the world. Really, I, I, I fished quite a bit, and I really enjoyed it. But not, not much of a hunter. All over the world. Go, I don't want to go out and kill Bambi. But uh, but uh, Dory, you're fine with. <laughs> Give me a nice smoked Nemo. Yeah. Cool. Cool to skewer Nemo. Just leave Bambi out of this. Somebody told me they saw that, that special, that documentary that's on, I don't know, one of the, one of the networks or whatever about uh, all the, how the pollution in the oceans is uh, having an adverse effect on uh, fish and whatnot. What? So may, yeah, it's not good for the fish? No, it's not. Breaking uh, news. Said that, in fact, that person was uh, a, a regular consumer of uh, seafood and now has sort of backed off from that. I don't know. Anyway, it was good to hear from Tom. What are the odds Gordon ends up on one of those boats where they chase around whalers on the Discovery <laughs> Channel? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whalers. <laughs> oh, what do they call that? Is that Greenpeace? Who is that? I, I Greenpeace no has done that, yeah. yeah. Then uh, have you seen the whalers? They shoot out of like catapults and and projectiles, like nuts and bolts and rusty nails, at these boats. That's what the whalers are shooting out at these people who are trying to stop the whalers. Hey, there are just still raining with... nuts and bolts. And down wait, on them. What do the, the whalers or the 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 uh, hippies do? Just wave their bongs in anger? <laughs> well, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are are they are are there uh, countries where it's legal to kill whales? Is that a thing? I don't know if it's legal, uh, but it happens. They made a TV show about it, Gordon. You could look into it. Apparently, well, there's the still show people whaling out there. Hmm. All right. I didn't know that happened anymore. I thought we figured out that whales were pretty cool. Didn't want to be going around killing them. The whole uh, show is called Whale Wars. Yeah. All right. It's on uh, Animal Planet. Yeah, okay, okay. All right. I'm just, I, I'm still blown away that there's a show telling us that pollution's bad for the fish. Stop it. I can't believe it. Hope it's not a long one. <laughs> Hope you don't sit there for 90 minutes going, where's this going? You know, you uh, you went a different direction. I thought you were going to mention the, the documentary that just started airing on PBS about uh, Hemingway, because you were basically comparing yourself to Hemingway about your fishing. What's his name? Ken Burns. There's a new documentary. Yeah. Oh, that got, guy. I started I, watching it the other night. It's it's okay so far. I it's a little dry. Too well, dry? Hemingway? Uh, yeah, I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Ernest himself. But Burns, could you get to the point? I'm talking about the the <laughs> documentary. Yeah, the documentary so far is a tad bit on the slow side. You ever have you ever try, attempted to watch his baseball documentary? No. Where he breaks down every game ever played <laughs> since Adam and Eve. Did it's nine not, days long. Did you not enjoy his uh, work with the Civil War? Not in the slightest. Are nope. you kidding me? Nope. That was acclaimed by everyone. Sure. If you could stay awake through it. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. That particular one? We're not talking about that stuff. You like that particular documentary? I'm yes, with Austin. Ken Burns' stuff. Or uh, what is his name? It's it's all a little bit. Did you can take a shortcut did, or two. Yeah. Jake, did you watch the Civil War series? Uh-huh. And you thought it was boring? I said that was a little slow. I've watched lots of Civil War series, Gordon, and no, that's not my favorite, if that's what you're asking me. All right. I'm surprised. 
Why? Because it's universally, everybody says it's the best that I would not automatically agree? I don't know if they say it's the best, but uh, Austin just said it was boring. Yeah, it's a little slow. You can find other upbeat documentaries out there that are more so than that. But anyway, I started watching the Hemingway one because I was excited about it, and lo and behold, it's a little slow. I also don't like Ken Burns because he wears a piece. Does he? Is oh, he a tube yeah. guy? Oh, look at that thing. It'll crawl away at wait, night. Wait, hold on. I want to Google it now. Yeah, it's, you're, it's wait. You're judging a, a man. You're judging a man because he wears a toupee. You betcha I am. Why? Have some why? guts and be what? a bald why? person. <laughs> why would that? Who are you trying to you? impress? Oh, that's a bad tube too. Right. Wow, you guys. Wow, I, I honestly, I'm with you, Austin. I don't know if I can take him seriously. Looks anymore. like a mascot. Oh, he's one of the best documentarians in the world. He, you guys, come he's on. got like a, a variety of different toupees. There's like different looks out there for so him. So what? If that's what he wants to do, what? He's what, got what like do the, the Edgar Winner toupee. <laughs> <laughs> you guys. You guys, what else? I don't know what the, the cut your haircut or cut your head and get a real job toupee look. Like he's even, I'm looking at one uh, one picture where it even looks like he's got, what do they call it, the, the, the bowl cut? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got the bowl cut toupee? The pumpkin pie haircut. Yeah. Okay, first of all, let me ask you this. How do you know it's a toupee? I don't know. Google it. <laughs> it looks you like a yarn. Make your judgment for yourself. And if it is, who cares? <laughs> what difference does Do it Do you make? wear a toupee? No, but no. Just, it just doesn't matter. Would you? No, no. Good. Then I respect you. Which I think we should get off. Ken. We should get no. off in the tube. See how it goes. You think you'd get? I would have to lose a sizable bet to ever put a wig on. All right, let's bet on something. Do you think you'd, you'd get treated differently? We should do it as a social experiment, if nothing else. Oh, I would treat myself differently. I'd loathe myself. <laughs> That's so bad. It I takes no guts idea. to be bald. <laughs> it doesn't take any guts to pretend you're not it bald. It takes guts to do this. What Ken Burns is no, doing right he, now, that he, takes No, because he's guts. insulting you, thinking you won't notice it. That is a that is a gutsy look for him, <laughs> and he's he's on TV quite a bit. Like he's a public figure. So see now the problem is is that he either has to like Andre Agassi it where he goes away for like a year and then comes back bald. He can't just show up bald now. He set this standard where it's a good point. You know what I mean? Yeah, Andre had to disappear for a while. He did. He had to go away for a little while and then he came back and everybody's like, oh, Andre's going with the shave head look. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. God shaved his head, and he's like just a, finally owning like, it. Like a decade before. I still don't know how he played wearing that thing, because that was not just a tube. That was like a like a full-blown hairpiece. Wait a minute here. Are you uh, – let's see. Uh, Ken Burns' emotional reason for not changing his hairstyle for 40 years. Uh, he's gone for a longer look now during the pandemic. This doesn't say anything about him wearing a toupee. Of course it doesn't. People who wear toupees don't go, look at my toupee. They insult your intelligence and say, this is my hair. And I like it that you basically just talked about that now he has a pandemic tube. It says, okay, this this is the reason that he wears his hair the way, see, you guys, he, he wears his hair the way he does because on account of his late mother. 
That's why he hasn't changed his hairdo in 40 years. Because his mom said, I don't want to be a parent to somebody who's bald? <laughs> Fans know that Burns' legendary locks recently underwent a shift. Thanks to lockdown, he's let them grow out. And then recent TV appearances, he has sported a shaggier look. And you know yeah. how you get people to stop accusing you of wearing a toupee? Say, it's about my dead mom. That's and then you can't do see it and, and trade it out once I in a think, while so people I think, think you that you owe this it. man the, no you owe this man an apology over my dead rotting body well, well, why that, do that man owes me nine days of my life for watching well, the baseball documentary well, well, why, why, why do you think he wears a toupee look at it I have eyeballs well, no you can't tell it that it moves on its own it does it, 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 when you're interviewing him it's chewing its food you can hear it that's not true that's not true. Why are you so bent on defending <laughs> Ken Burns's stupidity? Well, that's because you, yeah, because I don't believe that Austin knows what he's talking about. Really? He said, uh, he's he's, he was referring to his mother who died when he was just 11. Quote, I think the hair was just part of a connection. My hair was a beetle cut when she died. I had had my last barbershop haircut when she was alive, and I don't think I cut it until 1975. So stop asking me about my dead mom. <laughs> I bet you I, I trust uh, Austin's toop spotting judgment. How I, I bet I, it's I, I'm, look, good. I'm looking at the pictures right here. It doesn't look like a toupee. It does though. You know who he else says, is? In fact, this says he explained that he's utilized the services of the same hairdresser. That's oh, convenient. Yeah. yeah, you would. Yeah, you wouldn't and go outside the family for that. The beetle cut has always been that. a signature look for him. Uh huh. In fact, if he was trying to prove that he wasn't wearing a tube, he'd get his hair cut all, all, all over town. We've got 25 different hairdressers. I, it's just, I'm not seeing it here. I think if he, if he wore a tube, everybody would know it. How did we get here? Tom Chambers know. gave us some great stuff and then. Ken Burns did a Hemingway documentary that was a little slow, and Gordon took offense to that. And then we said that Ken Burns wore a tube, and Gordon took offense to that. Are you like his brother or something? Yeah. No, I just is he paying I, you? I just don't know. I just don't know how you can make that act. Oh, here's, here's a question. Okay. Uh, well, maybe he does wear one. Hmm, let me see here. Does Ken Burns wear a wig? All right. And this is on Twitter, so it must be true. <laughs> uh, let's see. The first person says it's definitely a wig, no doubt. When yep. you can't see a part or any glimpse of scalp, it's a wig. He can afford a pricey modern wig that looks much better. They even make them with fake parts down the middle. If he doesn't want a part, there are still better wigs out there. <laughs> they're even they're even criticizing the, the quality the of craftsmanship. But people are saying that. But I don't, do they know it? I I don't know. Next time you see know. Ken Burns, Gordon, I want you to go right up to him and just gank that hair and see if it comes off. <laughs> well, either way, whether he wears a toupee or not, or a wig or not, whatever, he's he's a great storyteller. I can't believe you guys are ripping him. He, I, I think he's one of the best. And I don't. So there. Brian Taylor will join the show coming up next. We'll talk golf. Now he's a good storyteller. Agreed. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
This You Into Golf Masters update with Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Brian Taylor. That's right. It's time to talk a little Masters. Let's get out to the zone phone. You hear him on Real Golf Radio every single Saturday morning. He's the one and only Brian Taylor. What's up, BT? Boys, great to be back with you. I'm so geeked out. It's like Christmas Eve, Masters Eve, and uh, things will tee up tomorrow morning. It's so exciting. Great to be with you. Well, let's let's talk about that, BT. Who do you like going into this year's tournament? Oh, man, there's so many storylines. That's probably a cop-out to say that, but, you know, you've got – you know, everything from, you know, Dustin Johnson defending and how will that – can he join that elite group of three players that have defended at the Masters and do it within five months? Is that easier than waiting an entire 12 months? you got Jordan Spieth, the 2015 champ, and maybe one of the most uh, prolific Masters players for his young career with the way he's attacked Augusta National, coming off of a win last week. And um, you've got Rory McIlroy chasing the career Grand Slam for the seventh time now and – Justin Thomas is the reigning Masters a Players Champion, trying to trying to pick up another major. It's just there's so many good um, storylines. I I I think if I had to pin it down, I'd probably take one of the initials, Dustin or you know DJ or JT there. But boy, Xander Shoffley could have a chance. John Rahm coming off of being a new father. I mean, there's just so many. You know, will Tony Finau find some some form back? It's just a, it's it's going to be an exciting week. I'm excited. BT, there's a lot of talk that the course is going to play harder this time around. Uh, do you believe them? Yeah, I mean, look, we've had the caddy. You guys have heard the caddy come on the show for all these years. And, you know, he, he, we always talk about the way you make a golf course difficult. It's not making it longer. It's making the greens firm and fast. And we saw what these best players in the world were able to do to such a great golf course back in November when the course had no defense it was soft and there's nothing they could do about it there was a, a ton of rain it was a tough time of year where they, the agronomy isn't quite what it needs to be to have master's conditions with overseeding and that type of thing so they've got it absolutely perfect i heard the chairman say that in the 20 years that he's been a member he's never seen the golf course this good so it's going to be a test i mean adam scott said today they're keeping them alive speaking of the greens and kind of joking that, you know, they're that much on the edge. They're already starting to crust out a little bit. And, and that's tough. I, I, I do think it's going to play tough. Uh, probably aren't going to see a whole lot of red numbers, you know, to begin. And it's supposed to be a little bit of rain coming in on Friday. That might soften it up a bit. But I think this is going to be one where, you know, you, you'd be happy to get to double digits under par. Is Spieth back, BT? Sure seems like it. I mean, he's, he's had a bit of a run where he's been in contention you know, it started with that Phoenix Saturday when he shot, what, 61, 60, whatever that was that week. And, you know, that kind of, you know, propelled him back into the, the discussion like, hey, whatever he's working on is finally, it's it's in there somewhere. It's not fully out, but it's in there. And then for him to put it together, I mean, look, it, admittedly, it wasn't a strong strength of field event. But when you haven't won since 2017, to beat any guys on the PGA Tour is a is is a huge confidence boost and a sign that what you've been working on is actually paying dividends now. So, uh, look, Jordan Spieth loves Augusta. Uh, I mean, he's you know he's led nine rounds in the last six years. Uh, I, I mean, the next closest is three rounds. This is a guy that just plays well. He's got the lowest scoring average over that time as well. So, you know, if something happens even when his game's not on. 
you know, he comes out here and, and uh, plays well. He holds the record for the most birdies in a tournament with 28. And he's been, you know, um, top tenning and finally picking up a win. So I, I think he's in form. I think he's, he's back to the point where you have to consider him. You know, the problem is, is there's really only been four players that have ever won the week before on the PGA Tour and then gone on to win the Masters that next week. And since 1960, only two players have done that, Sandy Lyle in 88 and Phil Mickelson in 2006. So, again, I love the history and the comparisons because there just seems to be so much thread there. But, hey, look, DJ also did something that had never been done last year, shooting 20 under par. So uh, we'll see what happens. So, Brian, I always bring this up before the Masters when you have you when we have you on the fact that you have played that course, but uh, and and we, uh, you know, I've asked you about it in the past, but just answer this part of it. What is it like to play Amen Corner? Um, <laughs> it's 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 so uh, it's kind of the holy grail of of a, for a golfer's you know opportunity, really. I mean, it's. You know, I th- I'm pretty sure that if you ask uh, any any player, any golfer, uh, if they could play, you know, th- a three-hole stretch, it'd be hard not to want to play Amen Corner. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out there, you know, playing the road hole, you know, coming in on uh, at St Andrews, and you know, playing into over the Swilkin Bridge on 18. I mean, there there's some obviously some tremendous things, but you know, there's quite nothing like, um, you know, Amen Corner and. It's it's cool. I mean, I've never experienced anything like what these players do in the Masters. But you know, that that shot is a simple little shot on 12. But man, as Tony found out, you know, two years ago, it can it can get you in. It's it's a it's a it's a dream wrecker. You know, um, if you if you just miss it there and 13, you know, is such a it's my favorite hole at Augusta National. I just think the way those white sand you know bunkers you know uh, shape that hole with Rays Creek in the front and the azaleas and dogwoods blooming behind it it's just it's it's to me it's the best it's a great risk reward we've seen the way Phil Mickelson came out of the pine straw on that one and two putted for birdie I mean there's just there's 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 opportunities there for for you know uh, really for players to make a move and um 11 is 11 is just a flat out hard hole I mean I, I don't care who you are 11 is hard and long and so yeah I mean it's a it's it's intimidating, but it's it's fun. And when you when there's nothing riding on it, like for me, it was just the experience of it. Fantastic. You mentioned Tony Finau. What do you think of his chances this week? You know, I really hope Tony gets his game going. I've just been spending some time today looking at, you know, what what I've been seeing out of him and trying to piece together what I've watched and what the stats are saying. And I actually am a little more optimistic than I was maybe before I started this exercise of studying Tony. I mean, last April – the last April Masters, he was 38th in November, but he tied for fifth. You know, he's in that final group. He had an opportunity there when Tiger won in 19. Uh, he's, you know, he's finished tied for 10th, tied for fifth, tied for 38th. That's pretty good in three starts. It, it, it tells you that something about that golf course fits his game and that he's got at least something figured out in order to contend there. That, that's really, really good. Bryson DeChambeau, on the other hand, has never had a top 20 at Augusta, but everybody's talking about DeChambeau. So if you had to ask me Fino or DeChambeau, I'm taking Fino. And, um, you know, uh, Tony uh, has led the field in driving distance of the Masters, and he's also been uh, ranked third and fifth, respectively, in the two April Masters that he's played in, in putting. And I think that says something. People want to knock Tony's putting, but at Augusta, he actually puts well, and here's why. From 20 to 25 feet on the PGA Tour, Tony is 11th on tour in putts. And he's also better than tour average in approach putts, meaning, you know, how, how, what's, his, what's his leave for the tap-in par if, he, if he's hitting the green in regulation. So 
Um, you, you know, he's having one of his better ball striking years of his career. Strokes gained tee to green, he's seventh. Strokes gained total, he's tenth. And so I, I look at all of those things. A pair of runners up. He's been in contention. Five top tens this this uh, this year. And um, I I just think he's. He's he's a little under the radar where he was squarely in the in in the spotlight after the broken ankle top ten and then you know coming back and being in the final group with Tiger. So I think people are maybe maybe writing him off a little bit, but um, I, I suspect Tony's going to have a good week. BT, uh, I I know that these guys are competitive, uh, one against the other, but is Tony popular on tour? Oh yeah, uh, I mean we've talked to people about Tony. Um, people highly respect him, not only for his, his, his talent and ability, and I don't think there's anyone out there that thinks that Tony's results are reflective of the talent that he has. But beyond that, uh, to a man, people will talk about, you know, the kind nature that Tony has and the, uh, the good teammate that he's been in Ryder and President's Cup. Uh, he's, you know, he, he's represented, you know, himself and his family and our state, you know, as well as you could even ask for. He's, he's really well-liked. I've seen the guys, you know, kind of yuck it up with him. And, and uh, they, like I said, they have a, uh, have a high level of respect. They, they recognize that he's a family man and that he has his faith and his priorities and, and that he's obviously, you know, not just a fun, not just a good guy out there, but a, but a world-class uh, player as well. And, and uh, so, yeah, he, he gets, he gets a lot of respect and, um, you know, it was fun to ask Tiger in 19 after he won, uh, you know, had a chance to ask him there in the press room at Augusta afterwards about playing with Tony. And, and he went on to just, you know, he was very, very complimentary of Tony and, and felt like it wasn't a matter of if, but when he starts winning majors. So uh, I think that's really his game is even more suited for these kinds of events than even a regular PGA Tour event. And we've seen him put himself in position to win a regular tour event. So, I, I, again, I, I don't know if this is going to be the year. I'm not sure exactly how the form he's in. But the picture that's painted from statistics and his results this year suggests that, you know, it, it shouldn't be a surprise if he's in contention come the weekend. Jake, Jake I wanted to sneak one more question in uh, about uh, the course, because you said earlier, BT, that the way that the chairman said uh, something about the way to toughen up the golf course is to make the greens faster. Um, I thought I read somewhere where he talked about, uh, that uh, the wave of the future shouldn't be 8,000-yard courses. And in the course of that conversation came up the whole idea that one day there could be a special master's ball to help control uh, the long hitting. Did I read that right? Have you seen anything about that? Yeah, so that's been talked about, or spec I should say it's been speculated over the last couple of years when – you know, you start seeing some of these players the way they are able to go after. I mean, 13 is a great example, right? I mean, the, when Bubba won, um, I remember he and Spieth were battling it out on the back nine, and Spieth hits his shot out there and leaves like a six iron into that par five, and, and Bubba just ripped a drive up over the corner, up over those Georgia Pines that uh, are framing Ray's Creek up the left side and, and dropped it into position where he had a pitching wedge in, and it just wasn't a fair fight. He, so the discussion around distance, you know, and then what Bryson's been doing, a lot of discussion around distance and saying, okay, well, Augusta National is the golf course that is, you know, played every single year for the Masters. Is there a scenario where players start to hit it so far that it makes Augusta National irrelevant or it doesn't become a true test uh, to be a so-called major championship? And so, there, you know, what will Augusta do? Will they continue to lengthen 
you know, they bought the property from Augusta Country Club, which is adjacent to Augusta National, that also borders the Amen Corner. So they purchased a bit of land so that they could actually lengthen out 13 if they needed to. They've not op- op- opted to do that yet. And so the, the question is, is do we yeah, – and then Jack Nicholas has, has been leading the charge for years now that the, the way to control distance is roll the golf ball back, make it more spinny, um, which will make players have to take something off of it because if you go too hard at a too spinny golf ball, it's going to balloon on you and it's going to go further offline and that type of thing, bring a little more skill and ball striking back into it. And so with all of that context, there was bantered around the speculation that might Augusta have their own master's ball that is you know, 20% or 10 15% shorter than what regular golf balls are in order to keep the shot values the way it was intended for Augusta National to play. And what he was basically saying is, I don't see that happening. We're aligned with the USGA and the RNA, who are the rules governing bodies in golf. Uh, we're not, it would be kind of a last resort for us to ever go down the road of having a master specific golf ball in order to maintain relevance of the golf course. So that, that was kind of the, the discussion and the context around that comment. BT, thank you as always. Look forward to uh, checking in with you as the tournament begins. I should say this, there's some great tee times tomorrow afternoon. If I only had the chance to watch one wave, it's tomorrow afternoon, and Finau is in that group, 11.48 Mountain Time. And, by the way, eight of the last ten champions have come from the late, early tee time, which is where Tony fits in, 11.48, which is 1.48 Eastern Time, and then is an early morning tee time on Friday. So could be uh, could be interesting watching those final groups coming in tomorrow. Thanks, BT. You got it, guys. Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, every single Saturday morning. And, of course, he and Bob uh, jump on with us uh, as the tournament progresses. So stay tuned for that. All right, we'll have more coming up next Not Sports Report and then Lock at 5, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Check this out. And now your Not Sports Report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for a quick non-sports report. We'll get to David Locke coming up at the top of the, clo- uh, the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, non-sports report brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're going, well, I have a story to tell, but before I do that, I want everyone to know that uh, today is, uh, it's National Beer Day today. Hey, how about that? And it's also International Beaver Day. So those are the two, uh, you know, uh, memorials for the day. So uh, you can behave as you will to celebrate. All right. I have a story in here here about a man. And this happened a long time ago, but it came to light today. A man who was in Australia and Jake, he wanted to go home to London but he couldn't afford the airfare. And so he uh, <laughs> he had, this is really isn't funny. Uh, he had a couple of friends crate him up and, and, and nail a, cr- a crate shut. And he tried to mail himself home to London. How did it end? 
It, well, it wasn't uh, comfortable for him because uh, he ended the box was tipped upside down and he was like uh, leaning on his head for like 22 hours. So he actually got onto the plane? Uh, I Apparently so. But anyway, uh, he, he got he did survive it. He did survive it. So that's good. So I, have you ever had that thought go through your mind that, that, uh, that it would be? An interesting journey to mail yourself somewhere? No. No, I have not. Have you? No, but I wonder if anybody else has ever tried that. I mean, do people mail like pets? Uh, felons do. Yeah, if, you, just, if you mail your pet, you should go to prison. Well, it just reminds me of uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, where he goes... Uh, this one's meowing. He's like, oh, she wrapped up her damn cat. <laughs> he well, shakes it. Or, <laughs> or the family vacation where they put Aunt Edna up on the roof and put her through the night deposit slip at the funeral home. And how, yeah. Well, this is the end to this story, <laughs> by the way. The man who is 76 years old now, he's written a book about his adventure you know what the name of it is some a bad pun of some sort yeah for sure the crate escape you broke up honestly you broke up it's the crate escape i didn't even hear it and oh. i know what it was the crate escape uh if you don't know the connotation there there was a well-known movie called the great escape this is the crate uh, escape. He said, looking back, he can't believe how stupid his idea was. He said, quote, it was stupidity. If my kids tried it, I would kill them. But it was a different time. <laughs> That's true of everything. Is that, isn't that true of everything you did when you were, every dumb thing you ever did, Jake, when you were a kid? I've never done a dumb thing in my life. And is it wrong of me that I wish the guy had perished? Wouldn't bit. that send the, the message better to everybody? Certainly not profit from a book. <laughs> right. What happened the was... The should be called I'm a Moron. <laughs> they, found, they found him in the crate, and, he, and, and they sent him off to the hospital, and then he got shipped uh, to London, as it turned out, with uh, airfare. They sent him home. But I don't know who paid for it. Anyway, an interesting uh, idea on the part of somebody who thought it was a good idea at the time. All right, Locke joins us next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.